Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Matthew 28, 1-10. It says, early on a Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb to visit the tomb, went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. Man, God conquered death so much that even his servants got to sit on death. They were sitting, the angel was sitting on the very thing that was supposed to seal God in the tomb. That's how, that's how holy and completely God conquered death. He put death to death. His face shone like lightning and his clothes was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. That's actually a proper response to the power and the presence of God. It's not goosebumps. It's like... If I move, I could die. Throughout the Bible, that's a proper response to the power and presence of God. Isaiah was standing in the presence of God, and he's like, I can't move. And God had to cleanse him before he can move. He's like, I can't talk. And the Lord cleansed his lips because he had a holy fear over him. And these, these guards probably did the, what, what saved their life. They, they fainted in fear. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid. You know, that that statement right there is in the Bible 365 times. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For he said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. Let's say it together. He isn't here. He is risen. Let's say it. He is risen from the dead. Just, listen, listen. Just as he said would happen. God keeps his word. Just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. That's, that, that right there is probably the best definition of a, of a holy fear of God. You're scared to death, but you're filled with joy. Like, I don't know what just happened. I don't know what to do. I know I encountered the presence of God. It scared the holy living stuff out of me. At the same time, I'm so excited. I'm so happy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and grasped his feet and worshipped him as another appropriate response to encountering God is worshiping him instantly. And 
Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. When the Bible repeats itself, you got to pay attention. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers. Let's say it together. Go tell my brothers. Say brothers. I want you to remember that. Brothers. Leave for Galilee and they will see me there. So, I want to talk to you today about how God keeps his word. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important event in not just human history, but in existence. In the history of everything, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most significant event. Without the resurrection, Jesus died for nothing. If Jesus stayed in the tomb, we cannot have right standing with God Almighty. If Jesus stayed in the tomb, we could not come into communion with God. He would have been no different than an Old Testament lamb. The resurrection is so significant and it's so necessary for what God wanted to do because he keeps his word. So to understand that to understand the magnitude of how God keeps his word, I want to hit on two things, and I know this is like two things. Are you, are you serious on Easter message, Ryan? Like, you're long-winded. You could talk to a wall for 30 minutes. I, I get that. So to not disappoint, my first, my first point has two things to it. So <laughs> my first thought I want to leave you today to show you how much God keeps his word. I want to talk about the significance of and necessity of resurrection. Like I think that that sometimes when you live life, especially if you grow up as a church as a Christian in church, we there's a lot of Easter services. And Sometimes we can lose the weight by talking about it so much. The gravitas of what Jesus did by talking about it so much. And today I want to recenter us because we talk about the resurrection of Jesus all the time here. It's not like we only talk about it on Easter. We talk about it a lot. But I want to recenter us on the significance and the weight and the necessity of resurrection. God keeps his word. I want you to keep that in your head as we go through this. This moment when Jesus walked out of that tomb, putting death to death, becoming the firstborn among the dead, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, is a culmination of a promise that God made 6,000 years ago. And it goes back to this place called Eden. How many of you guys have ever heard of the Garden of Eden? Yeah. So, I'm going to give you a quick recap of the first three chapters of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything. Period. In six days, God created everything, everything, 
And on the seventh day, he rested. And in those six days, he created man named Adam. And then he created Eve out of his rib. And ever since then, women have been a pain in the... I'm joking. I'm joking. That was a joke, a bad joke. Sorry. Amy, you are a blessing. But our daughter, sometimes, no. Uh, God created Adam and Eve. And he gave them authority and dominion over all creation. Like, that's what he wanted to do. Like, in creation, everything was perfect. After each day of creation, God said, and it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he created man, and he said it was very good. Oh. Everything in all creation, I want you to get this, he spoke into existence. But when it came to man, he got down in the dirt and formed us and then breathed into us. He created us differently than everything else in creation. Because we are made in the image of God, God said, let us make man in our image. So God, what do we know about God? He's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is each. The Father is God, completely holy. The Son is God, completely holy. The Holy Spirit is God, completely holy. And yet, united as three into one, they are completely one God. They've never disagreed. They, 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 are, they are one God, yet each of them have all the attributes of God. We can't understand. Like, what does that even mean? It's the doctrine of the Trinity. And God created us the same way. So he breathed into us. So we are body, soul, and spirit. We are a triune being. And with that said, God intended right from the get-go for us to live forever. He intended us to exist in, in communion with him forever in this place called Eden. It was perfect, like no decay. Just like imagine every the best, your favorite fruit and how sweet it is. There was no such thing as a bad fruit. I'm pretty sure God, did, like I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there wasn't even onions in Eden because that is a result of the fall of man. Um, like it was a perfect place. It was a perfect place, and God made this to have communion with His creation, not just His creation, specifically man. And woman. And he gave them dominion over all of creation. Like Adam got to name the plants, he got to name the animals, he got to he got he had dominion and authority, and he had perfect communion with God. And God said, There's one caveat do not eat out of that tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In my personal conviction, I don't think that tree looked any different than any other tree. I think it had the same fruit on it that every other tree or the variety of fruit. I don't think it had like a, its own variety of fruit. I don't think there was anything special about the fruit of the tree of knowledge. I personally think what made it pointed was the fact that God said, don't do it. Don't do it. And I don't know how long they were in Eden. The Bible doesn't really say. But one day, along comes this being named Satan in the form of a serpent. And he tempts this woman named Eve. And we could, we could blame it on Eve all you want, the original sin. But the Bible says that Adam was right there with her. But just keep in mind, men, the last time women chose something to eat, they doomed all of humanity to sin and death. So today after church, husbands, put your foot down and you decide. I'm joking. 
I'm joking. But Eve was tempted, and she presented this fruit to Adam, who was right there. And Eve ate of it, nothing happened. But Adam was the one that received the command. Eve received it secondhand. Adam received the command, and he ate it, and suddenly their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened, and sin entered the world. And really, what is sin? Sin is, in the New Testament, missing the mark, but it's a trespass to God. It, it violates Him. Because you've got to understand, God is perfect and holy. In Him, there is no sin, there's no darkness, there's, there's nothing that would be bad. And when they disobeyed Him in this act of disobedience, they, what, did, what did they really do here? They chose to believe something other than God. They chose to believe a lie over the truth. God said, if you eat that, you will surely die. The enemy said, you won't surely die, but you will be like God. So it kind of sounds the same, but one's true and one's not. That's the thing about truth. It's true or it's not true. It doesn't care about your feelings. And sin entered the world because they chose not to believe God. They chose to elevate their understanding to the place of God in their life and say, God, I know better than you, so I'm going to live the way I want to live, and I'm going to make this decision. And out of that one act of disobedience, sin, this three-letter word, entered the world, and with sin came death. And that's such a tragedy because God wants to give life. In fact, that's all God can do. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. God is life, and when sin entered the world, death came. Death is foreign to God, and all he can give is life. And so, in this moment, it severed this perfect relationship with God. It severed it, because God's holy, and suddenly they're not. They were holy up to that point, because they were listening to God. They were obeying God. And there's nothing they could do to undo what they did. And so what did God do? He stepped into the garden and he was walking through the garden and said, Hey guys, where are you? And they're like, we're hiding over here because we're naked. He's like, who told you you were naked? Because they didn't care. Because they were holy. There was no such thing as lust. There was no such thing as shame. None of that. All that comes from sin. Guilt comes from sin. Death comes from sin. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's all. Everything that dies is a result of sin. I mean, think about this. This is how, this is how thorough sin inhabited and got into creation. Trees die because of sin. Trees die because of sin. Stars explode and die because of sin. Your dog dies because of sin. Everything that has life will die because of sin. Romans chapter 1 says all of creation is groaning for God to make it right because everything dies because of sin. And God wants to give life. So God's walking through, and even back in the garden, what did God do to cover their sin? God killed animals and made coverings for them. Even back in the garden, it always requires death to cover sin. 
a sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no removal of sin. And out of this conversation, God is going through and talking to Adam. Because you disobeyed me, you're going to have to work hard your whole life. The, the ground will not yield its crops. You're going to have to fight against the ground. There are some scholars believe that just like Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered and died, that before the fall of man, some scholars believe that Adam had, the, had this ability to just say grow and, and stuff would grow. He could walk through the garden and command in faith because he had dominion over creation. Just like Jesus said, if, if you, Jesus said in the New Testament, he cursed a tree and it withered and died instantly. You know, like that's what happened. And Jesus said, if you believe and do not doubt, you can, you can say to this mountain, like, because Jesus was the restoration of what God intended in the garden. That's what, he, that's what Jesus was. He was a manifestation of that. In perfect communion. And I, I, I'm not saying that's what happened, but some, some theologians believe. And suddenly, so that's why it was such a curse to Adam. Suddenly, he couldn't just say, crops grow in this line. He would have to till the soil. He had to fight against the ground to make something grow. Then he told the woman, you're going to have increased pain in childbirth. And I know every woman in here that's had a child is going to have some words with Eve one day. Then he said to the snake, Satan, in Genesis chapter 3, 14 and 15, let's look at what he said to them. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals Domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he, and he will strike your head. Some translations say he will crush your head and you will strike his hill. And you're like, well, what does it have to do? Satan tried to put God to death in the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man. He laid down his deity while he stepped into humanity, and he operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not do one miracle on earth as God. He, he did everything that he did as man in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like he calls us to do. Like you sometimes, I, I, heard, I heard Christians say like, well, Jesus can do what he wants. He's God. He, he, can, he can heal the sick. And I'm like, no, no. He actually told the disciples to heal the sick. And they healed the sick while he was still on earth because he gave them power to do it. And, and so Jesus did everything as man in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Satan, the serpent, the great serpent that the Bible calls him, tried to strike him. Tried to put Jesus to death, God to death. And he did. For three days. But because God keeps his word, Jesus walked out of the tomb crushing the very only tool of the enemy, death. Death entered the world through sin in the garden. And suddenly Satan got these keys, held death in the grave. And, and if you ever talk to someone who does not believe in Jesus, and I pray you do, there is one thing that most people that don't believe in Jesus have in common. They are afraid to die. 
because they have no hope. They think this world is it. And maybe if they're good enough, they can make heaven or something. They kind of have this semblance of something good. But the reality is they're afraid to die. But Jesus took back that. And he says, no. In the most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what God gives, eternal life. Because God wants to restore what the enemy tried to take. You see the significance of God keeping his word. It's not, it's not just, oh, it's just sin. No, this is a big deal. It's separated and segregated and, and severed us from God. And God wanted relationship with us so bad that... I want you to see not only the significance, but the necessity. God wanted a relationship with us so bad that he had to make a promise to another man to restore it. So sin severed us from God. And God wanted relationship with us because he loves us. He loves us so much. And sin will kill us and send us to eternal hell. Because remember, each of us are eternal beings. We will go to one or two places after we die. And it's not necessarily, eternity is not necessarily the quantity of time. It's the quality of existence. God wants to give us eternal bliss in his presence. And sin offers eternal death away from God. So, now that we see the necessity, I want you to understand the significance of God keeping his word and how much resurrection is needed. So, we walk through the garden. So, fast forward 2,000 years. So, the garden is about 6,000 years ago. Fast forward 2,000 years from the garden. So, we're 2,000, this is 4,000 years ago. That's a lot of math for an Arkansas boy to do. Please forgive me. There is this man named Abram, chilling out, living life, loving life, no heirs, but he's loaded. And the Lord says to Abram, leave your father's house and go. You might know him as Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. That's actually not true. He had two sons. But this is what the Lord said. He told Abram, not just in a promise, but he, God took an oath. Now, uh, now, an oath is a big deal. It's like a, a, a promise on steroids. And the oath that God took to Abram, he had Abraham take and get bulls and split them down the middle and spread them out. And this is, this is really gross. And you're like, why would he do that? Well, conquer, this is what conquering kings would make the kings that they would conquer do. They would make them make a sacrifice before the king, split the bull down the middle, and then walk through it and pledge their allegiance to that king that just got con that, to the conquering king and say, basically, if I ever betray you, or if I break my oath of allegiance to you, you can do to me what I did to these bulls. So basically, that, that was the oath that God took. 
And God did not make Abraham take the oath. God took an oath to himself. So he made Abraham split the bulls. Then God walked between the sacrifice to, 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 to tell Abraham, I'm going to keep my word to you. And what was the promise that he made to Abraham? He said, I will make you the father of many nations. Anyone who blesses you, I'll bless. Anyone who curses you will curse. And all nations and people will be blessed through you. That was the promise that he made to Abraham at the age of 75. And he, then he turned around and said, Abraham, go out and look at the stars and count them. And Abraham couldn't. And said, then go count the sand on the sea. And Abraham's like, I can't. He said, that's how many descendants you will have. So now we know that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. I want you, I, I want you to see the significance of this. This is how much God loves you. This is how much sin is a big deal to God. To address the problem of sin in the world. And, and he created a nation. He picked one man named Abraham to father a nation for one man named Jesus Christ to come into existence at the fullness of time to die for our sin. Millions of people, 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus, and God created a nation to keep his word, to deal with sin. That's how significant the resurrection is. It's a culmination of promise after promise of God keeping his word. God loves you enough to create a nation to address the problem of sin in the world so that we don't have to. Because at the end of the day, we can spend all eternity trying to repay this debt to God, and we can't do it. We can't do it. But Jesus, in 33 years... He stepped in to humanity through the womb of a virgin. We celebrate that at Christmas. And he lived 33 years on earth. 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry, for three hours of purpose on a cross, for three days later to walk out of the tomb victorious to take care of sin, that he can restore relationship with God. Because we can't get to God. During that 2,000-year span... Between Abraham and Jesus, God gave this thing called the law. And it was, <laughs> it was faulted. It was perfect, but it, it told you what you did wrong, but it didn't help you make it right. And the law can't make you righteous. The law can't do anything. And, and that's what happens to people today, is they try to get to God on their own, and that's called the law. Well, if I just go to church so many times a year, if I just say so many prayers, if I, if I just am nice, if I'm a nice person, I can, I can, well, God will let me into heaven. No, there's only one way into heaven. And it's through Jesus Christ. Because God became man. God made a nation for one man to come out of, to bless all nations, all peoples. Think about that. A nation. Millions of people, the Jewish nation existed. It exists today. And the only reason it exists is because God wanted to bring a Messiah out of it. To address the problem of sin. That's how much he loves you. To restore a relationship with you. So, 
the necessity and the significance of resurrection. And then, Pastor Brady, if you would, the overflow of resurrection. God keeps his word. God keeps his word. There is one line in Matthew 28, and it's so significant. After the resurrection, right before Jesus went to the cross, he had this thing called the Last Supper. And he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. And in that moment, he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. But after he raised from the dead, he said, go tell my brothers. The overflow of resurrection is we're family. We're family. God restored relationship with God because God keeps his word. God keeps his word. I'm going to read I'm going to read you something. It's in Romans chapter 8, it's 1 through 17. And God Paul, the apostle Paul says it way better than I ever could. This is the overflow of the resurrection and this is what God allows for us. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. Right there. There's whole books written on that. If you're condemning yourself because, oh, man, I messed up again. If you are in Christ, quit condemning yourself. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, quit listening to the lies of the enemy, saying you have to make it up. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The overflow of resurrection. The law of Moses, this is the law that God gave us. The law is good. It tells us what we do wrong, but is powerless to make us righteous. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end of sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Mm. He did this so that just the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us. We don't have to do anything. Jesus did it all. Who? Oh, let me go back. The just requirements of the law would be satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. We don't follow this, we follow the Spirit when we're in Christ. Those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about the sinful, sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. This is the overflow of resurrection. God keeps His word. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Holy Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Some of us have been struggling with anxiety and depression and different things like that in our, in our mind, and you're wondering, where is this coming from? I would ask a question. Are you letting the Holy Spirit control your thinking? Are you thinking about the things of the world? Are you thinking about the things of God? Because the Bible says when we let the Spirit control our mind, it leads to life and peace. Where the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. 
That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But, and Paul's writing to a church, and I'm talking to a church. I'm talking to the church. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. It gets really good here in a second. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, therefore, the overflow of resurrection, whenever the Bible says therefore, you've got to ask, what is it therefore? Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. The Holy Spirit is here to help you put to death that for all who are led by the spirit of god are children of god oh what did jesus say go tell my brothers he said go tell my brothers so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves instead you have received god's spirit when he adopted you as his own children now we call him abba Father. Abba is like such an endearing term to God. It's like when, when my kids first started talking and saying dada, that's, it, it's like now all I hear is dad, dad. But when they were first learning it, dada, it's like, I just, oh, it just like makes me want to, oh, I just, I saw a baby the other day say dada. I'm like, mm, can I hold your kid? That's like, that's weird. But, but that, that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. It endears us to God and because God's already endeared to us. He's already in love with you. He loves you so much. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Wait, we're co-heirs with Christ? That means Jesus is my older brother? But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Why would he put that in there? I don't like that part. What is it talking about? The overflow of resurrection is that we are made children of God. We have full rights to every promise. We have full rights to everything that God has declared. And the suffering is putting ourselves to death. We die to ourselves daily so that we could be counted among the children of God. And today, I believe there are people in here that need to give their heart to Jesus. You've been around church your whole life or you haven't. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Or maybe you're hearing this for the hundredth time, but it's never too late. The overflow of resurrection. 
overflow of resurrection is that we are made children of God because God loves you. He loves you right where you're at. He loves you enough not to leave you there. God keeps his word. God kept his word. He kept his word. He kept his word to re return us to right standing with God. In 1 John chapter 1, just two verses, he says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But here's the cool thing, and God's going to keep his word today. But if we confess our sins to him, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness and unrighteousness. God wants to keep his word. If you're here today and you, and you need to give your heart to Jesus, you just say, God, forgive me. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose to life. And you believe that. The Bible says, you're in. You're a son of God or a daughter of God. Maybe you're here today and you haven't been living for God, but, but you've decided, you're like, I, I, I'm trying, but I haven't been living. I've been, I've been following my sinful nature. I haven't been living according to the spirit. But what we just read says, if I live that way, I'm going to die. I don't want to die. I want to live with God the way he wants me to. If you need to give your life back to Jesus, I'm going to be up here. Pastor Nathan's going to be up here. My wife is going to be up here. And I want you to step out of your seat. It takes faith. It takes faith. And this is just as important, if not more important, than getting healing. This is a bigger miracle than any miracle. Because you pass from death to life. You go from eternal damnation in hell to eternal life with God. In a moment, just by putting faith in Jesus.